I'm Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Capehart. During the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020, the first term black mayor of Richmond, Virginia, ordered the removal of the city's Confederate statues, a move the Washington Post editorial board called a model for other jurisdictions struggling to balance racial justice with historical preservation. You'd think such a move in a former capital of the Confederacy would hurt that mayor, who was up for re-election that same year. Nope. Mayor LeVar Stoney won re-election by a comfortable margin, so I couldn't help but ask why take on that fight. I've always been the sort of leader, Jonathan, that thought, you know what, elections be damned, let's do what's right. I'd rather take the action and pay the consequences in doing what's right instead of doing nothing at all. In this conversation, first recorded for Washington Post Live on February 15th, Mayor Stoney also talks about efforts around the country, including in Virginia, to whitewash American history. Reflecting on the protests in your city in response to the murder of George Floyd, you wrote in the New York Times, quote, there are two epidemics in America, COVID-19 and racism. Since that time, Richmond has removed all of its Confederate statues. Why was it important to, important to you to confront this history in this way? Well, you know, I, I think Richmond has always, you know, been known as, you know, the capital of the Confederacy. And I wanted to take Richmond in a different direction. I always worried about what was uh, gonna happen after the comma, right? Richmond, Virginia, comma, what else? And I think during my tenure as mayor, we get to write what the future, what that chapter is all about. And for a long time in Richmond, our past has sort of been leading our present. And now I think for us, our present is leading our future. And so uh, confronting this is always difficult because as you know, uh, people say they love history, but what they really love, I think is nostalgia. Uh, things that, you know, what we think history was. Uh, but history at times can be an indictment. And what I realized, people do not like to be indicted. But my city, I, I'm grateful, you know, we we tackled this head on. Uh, we know that we are rich in history, but that history is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I thought it was important if we want to continue to remain a competitive city that's going to attract people from all across this great country, no matter their walk in life, no matter who they love or who they pray to or the color of their skin, that we have to tackle uh, some of those uh, ghosts from the past. And we mm -hmm. did exactly that. Today, there is no uh, iconography of the civil war that stands in our city. And I'm very, very proud of that. You know, one of the most not notable Confederate monuments to be removed was the Robert E. Lee statue. Why was that particular monument such a focal point of the protests? And why was it more work to get it taken down? Well, you know, uh, the Robert E. Lee statue was the granddaddy of them all. I don't believe there's a statue to the a Confederate general, uh, to the Confederacy overall in the United States, larger and, and more grandiose than the one that stood on Monument Avenue. I think it was what, uh, 60 feet high or, 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 or you know, a number yeah. of stories high, at least four or five stories high. And it is just an intimidating um, grand sculpture of the, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Uh, it was owned by the state, which made it more difficult. Uh, it wasn't owned by us. We were able to start our process in July 1 of 2020, but this 
particular monument was held up in the court process, went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And finally, uh, Governor Northam, before he left office, was able to get that statue removed. And I think it was a center for all of the, the protests during the, the summer uh, uh, upheaval that we saw in 2020 because, you know, it happened to be on one of the grandest boulevards in all of Richmond. It was the address that you want in Richmond. And we know why it was, why this uh, statue was put there, why it was erected there. It was to start this great subdivision, basically a housing development uh, around Confederate monuments. And when it was erected, it was celebrated. There are pictures that go back 100 plus years that show that this was a celebration. But also, this was to stake the flag in the ground that said that although uh, the Union may have won the Civil War, uh, that we, those who were in charge at that time, mostly white and the wealthy, were still in charge of, of, of uh, Richmond. And so it was there to intimidate, there to send a message, and it did for a very, very long time. Yeah, as you said to Politico back in 2020, it was to send a clear message that they were still in charge no matter the outcome of the Civil War. Uh, you wrote that you cried when the Stonewall Jackson statue was removed in front of a crowd of protesters in the rain. Most recently in December, you were there when the AP Hill statue was taken down. Why is it important for you, or why was it important for you to personally witness these removals? Well, you know, for the Stonewall Jackson one on July 1, 2020, I was not uh, able to actually see it removed. Okay. The only statue I actually saw removed was the one, the AP Hill one, the last one. Mm -hmm. The reason I could not see the Stonewall Jackson one removed because I was sort of hiding out because I didn't want a, an injunction to sort of slow down the, pro the progress we were about to make that day. And so they had me uh, stay in an undisclosed location so I would not be found, uh, so I could not be served. And I watched that removal on TV, live TV. All the stations here in Richmond took it live. And when the the statue started to shake off of its pedestal, I, I just, I couldn't believe it um, because it was certainly something that I think many Richmonders, many black Richmonders thought would never happen uh, during their lifetime. And, and hell, I'll tell you this, Jonathan, I did not think as mayor that I would, number one, ever confronted and number two, would ever see it removed in my lifetime. So that brought tears to my eye that day, but I also thought it was important to be there on the last day of a monument standing in Richmond because at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure that folks knew that Richmond got the job done. We saw, we saw all the way to the end, no matter the, the court, uh, the legal hurdles that were put in our way, we got the job done and we can begin writing that new chapter. You know, the, the Post did a profile on uh, Devin Henry, the black man whose construction company, and we saw him in the, the intro video, there he is, uh, in, in his hard hat. Um, his, his construction company removed the remaining Confederate statues when white contractors refused. Talk to me about meeting Devin and, and the pushback of white constituents on the removal of the so-called war memorials. Yes, uh, so Devon Henry, uh, a friend of mine, uh, you know, I, I, I tell the story and he tells the same story that I didn't know he was going to actually be involved in the removal. I, I asked for my team, my administration to go out and seek uh, contracts and bids for those who would be willing to actually remove these monuments. And in the summer of 2020, we got rejected all across the board, whether in central Virginia, 
in Virginia at large, there were contractors who told in, uh, there were, who said that their parents would write them, their grandparents would write them out of their will if they would ever take a contract to remove any of these Confederate memorials. And so when we finally found a contractor, thankfully, because he was already involved and engaged across the street uh, at the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, to remove the monuments, I, I, I knew that first, this took a lot of bravery, it took a lot of courage because I, know, I knew that threats to his life, threats to his livelihood were all coming. And sure enough, he was brave enough to step up and do it. And here's the thing. Um, it was John Mitchell Jr., who was the, uh, uh, the, the editor, the publisher of the Richmond Planet uh, two generations ago, who stated that the black man was there to erect the Robert E. Lee and other uh, Confederate uh, memorials, and it would be the black man that would remove it. And sure enough, Devon Henry, in partnership with the city, we were able to get that removed despite the threats, despite uh, those who chose to and tried to intimidate us. You know, Jonathan, I received phone calls. I know Devon received phone calls of people not just here in the Richmond area, but all across the Commonwealth of Virginia, all across this country, who their intention was to intimidate us, said that I, you know, they would come to my home and, uh, uh, you know, burn a cross, said that, that you know, I was a monkey and would call me names, every name under the sun except the child of God. That's the sort of pressure and harassment and intimidation that not only Devon received, but me and my entire team here at City Hall. But you know, at the end of the day, we got the job done and it was well worth it. You know, listening to you talk about uh, your experience, um, Devon Henry's uh, experience, reminds me of the conversation I had with Mitch Landrieu when he was mayor of New Orleans and he was going through the process of removing Confederate monuments in his city. Have you had any conversations with Mitch Landrieu as you worked your way through getting Richmond to the same place as New Orleans? Well, the year that Mitch Landrieu removed the monuments uh, in New Orleans, I was happy to, I, well, I was mayor here in Richmond as well. And I knew when Mitch made the move in New Orleans that that wave would find itself on our shores. And so I started to prepare my team. I said, you know what? We have to have a discussion about these symbols. And so we uh, started the Monument Avenue Commission uh, to explore the recontextualization of these monuments. And then the, the tragedy in Charlottesville happened and Heather Heyer was killed. And so that's when we thought we had to add removal to that discussion. The only issue was that we had no authority in removing those monuments. And I remember talking to Mitch and him advising me and saying, look, Mayor, you have to do what is in the best, uh, uh, what, what your, your city would approve you on, uh, to do. Mm -hmm. And it was hard at first. You know, we discussed uh, removal. Uh, we, we would discuss recontextualization. But we knew we had to end up here at the removal. And when the Commonwealth of Virginia gave us the ability to actually remove them, and actually we did it in the summer of 2020, one of the first people I contacted was Mitch Landrieu. And I told Mitch that we finally got it done. And uh, Mitch, you know, he applauded me for my efforts, but also he reminded me uh, that it's going to take a little bit more time for folks to continue to have my back. I brought Mitch to Richmond 
and said, Mitch, I would love for you to have a us to have a conversation about what you did in New Orleans, but also what is necessary, what do we need here to get the job done in Richmond? And the one thing he told uh, my residents here is like, you know, when the mayor decides to do this, you all need to rem remain behind him, continue to have his back. And I'll have to say, I'm grateful to my residents. I grateful, I'm grateful to my community because they have had my back. That is an incredible story to hear, because I remember talking to Mitch at the time, uh, that Mayor Landrieu at the time, and he was catching hell there oh, from, yeah. a lot, from a lot of people, a lot of people he said he grew up with, he knew all his life, who were dead set against what he was doing. Um, and he's white. So I'm wondering, how did you thread that needle as the black mayor of Richmond um, with a lot of white constituents for whom, you know, this is their history, or as, or as you said, you know, it's actually nostalgia. How did you, how did you walk that line? Well, you know, we, we, we first, we laid, we, we laid out a process first, Jonathan, right? In 2017, we took in feedback from Richmond residents from both sides of the ideological aisle, you know, left and from the right. But what we saw that was a little bit, you know, I thought disturbing, because remember, this is also the state capital. And so we had folks coming from all over Virginia who would flood into these public engagement opportunities, right? These town halls. And they essentially hijacked these town halls. They were not from Richmond. They were not taxpayers of Richmond, but they hijacked these town halls and stated how, you know, and, and gave their version of history, the lost cause, as a reason why we should uh, keep these monuments. And what they would say would, it's like, well, why don't you guys all go over to another street and you make that street your street, right? You know, you keep these monuments up and you go to the boulevard and, and which we were named Arthur Ashe Boulevard and you just go ahead and make that your own street. Uh, but I think a lot of those who were on the commission at the time found that as also unacceptable. And so um, I, I will tell you this, John, it was, it was difficult. Uh, there are some people in the city um, who were in the small minority, I would say, who won't shake my hand to this day. Uh, and there are a lot of folks who live in the suburbs of this great city who you know, say that I've uh, erased their history, I've ruined their city, but I want all of them to know that as the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia, this city belongs to everyone. This is not one uh, person's, one racist city. This is not one ethnic group city. This is a city for all people. And that's exactly the sort of capital that we want to be, a capital, capital of compassion that is welcoming uh, and inclusive to all and a, crazy, a place that all can belong. Now, I made a point of mentioning that you undertook all of this while running for re-election because and, and you correct me if I'm wrong there, when you won your first term, it was a bit of a squeaker. It was like one point or something like it that. Was. It was. And then you go and you do this with Confederate monuments and all the stuff you were dealing with that you were just talking about. And then you win re-election by a bigger margin in the second term than you did in the first. Why do you think I did. that? Well, you know, it was... Uh, it was a tumultuous time, Jonathan. I mean, we're dealing with the pandemic. 
We're dealing with economic upheaval, and then we we're dealing with social upheaval at the same time. And there were nights on nights of uh, of protest and unrest, and and at times, a few times, that protest got a little bit out of hand. You know, we had we had we had a lot going on here in Richmond. And when my team and I, we went back and forth about what I could do. Um, there were people on my team who said, "Mayor, I don't want you to end up in." Um, in jail or, you know, I don't want you to get arrested for removal. And so we waited to July 1 when we actually had the authority to do so, but we considered uh, doing it before July 1 as well. And I will say, um, you know, when, when I think about the politics of the situation, I've always been the sort of leader, Jonathan, that thought, you know what, elections be damned, let's do what's right. Let's do what's right. And as a son, uh, uh, as a grandchild of a, of a, of a grandmother who was raised in the South. My grandmother was raised in South Carolina. She was the woman who raised me, the woman I've seen as my mother uh, figure in my entire life. Uh, I always ask, I go back to asking the question, what would she do? What would she advise me to do in a moment like this? And my grandmother would say, "Do baby, do what's right. Baby, do what's right. And that's sort of the voice that was always in my head, Jonathan, when I had to think about what move should we take right here? Do what's right. Yes, it could have cost my reelection, um, but at the end of the day, I could live with doing what was right versus not sitting on my hands and doing anything at all, not doing anything at all. A lot of times I think leaders, uh, they kick the can down the road, road so that it's another person's issue. Uh, and for me, I'd rather take the action and pay the consequences and doing what's right instead of doing nothing at all. You know, you you wrote, um, I believe, yes, in the in the Washington Post in 2019, quote, we now have a responsibility to erect new monuments to, to the diversity, inclusivity, and equity we celebrate as values in our city. One of those monuments is the superb rumors of war, which I've only yeah. seen when it was sitting in Times Square, not in its new oh, home. Yeah. But it's a statue by artist Kehendi Wiley, the famed for his portrait, uh, official portrait of um, President Obama. What does this statue mean to you? And what statues would you like to see on Monument Avenue? Well, you know, what someone said to me the other day that, oh, I think that I, I heard this from someone that the removal of monuments take away from uh, the rumors of war because the rumors of war was sort of a contrast and a spin off off of, off of the, the Stonewall Jackson monument. And they said, without that, you have no context of who, what the rumors of war statue really means. And I think that's absolutely false and ridiculous because first you've never seen, it is rare in this country that you see a black man on a horse erected in any locality in this country. Yeah. So I think that's totally false. And number two, you can always still read about the history of Richmond that used to be the home of the most Confederate memorials than any other city in the United States of America. And I having that as a back as a backdrop, you know, uh, knowing that this is a this is a a statue with a black man on top of a horse here in Richmond um, shows you that we actually are actually turning the page on the lost cause and embracing the righteous cause. And I'm grateful for the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts uh, and all their supporters who got behind knowing that this is a piece of art that will be seen for generations to come. And I will tell you this, it will withstand the test of time. What's been the reaction in Richmond to the statue? I know the reaction 
when it when it uh, was sitting in Times Square. It's what made me walk all the way to Times Square when I was in New <laughs> York City to, uh, at night to go see it. Uh, and it was spectacular. But that's New York City. What do the folks of Richmond think of it? If you drive into Richmond and you drive into Arthur on Arthur Ashe Boulevard, named for the great tennis star and humanitarian Arthur Ashe, and you drive past the Museum, Museum of Fine Arts and sitting right there out front is this grand statue to the rumors of war, Kiende Wiley, you will see passers, passerbys you know, taking pictures, taking photographs in front of it because it's just that beautiful of a sculpture. And so it's been well received by uh, our community, so much so that when we are in any of uh, the top 10 places to visit in the country, uh, mid-sized cities, people always highlight, you gotta come to the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts and you gotta check out the rumors of war. So I would say it's been received with open arms. And when I think about the future, uh, as well, Jonathan, in, in terms of uh, Monument Avenue, you know, right. people say, well, what else would you like to erect on Monument Avenue? You know, I'm going to let the the residents of the city decide that for the future. Um, I, I just think that Monument Avenue, when you look at it today, you know, Sands Monument, monuments to the Confederacy, it's still a beautiful uh, boulevard that people want to live on. But we need to take steps in our community to create more. What I think of monuments John, I think of new schools, new community centers, uh, new opportunities for black and brown residents in my city that they didn't have before. And I think we are doing a better job in being more intentional that there's symbolism in one space, but what are you gonna do that is actually, uh, you know, uh, in a proactive way that's gonna give opportunities to those who have been long marginalized in the city. And so I just want, I don't want folks to think that we're only focused on symbolism in the city of Richmond. We're focused on real opportunities for, for people. And that, and that is an, an excellent point. But I'm gonna keep you um, um, on the symbolism front because we have an audience question. And a question from Vermont, uh, from Paul uh, Growald. Uh, Paul asks, do you have plans to honor some of the individuals who were enslaved in Richmond, especially on Monument Avenue in, and in other locations where monuments have been or will be removed? Well, you know what? Right now we're we're working uh, towards that, that next chapter on how to tell the full story of Richmond, right? Um, for so long, we've been focused on four years in, of Richmond's history. Uh, and those four years were during the, uh, the, the, the Civil War and the Confederacy. So as we move forward, we're gonna focus on telling the full history of Richmond and that includes slavery. People don't recognize that Richmond was the second busiest uh, slave trading post in the United States of America, I think only second to New Orleans. And so we have an area of downtown Richmond, which is the Shaco Bottom uh, neighborhood, which is you know where a lot of, uh, uh, of the enslaved were uh, bought and sold and killed, whether it were children, men, women, and children. We're gonna tell that story in Chaco Bottom, and we're gonna get that start with an $11 million philanthropic grant from the Mellon Foundation. Uh, we're actually gonna celebrate that tonight as part of our Black History Museum, our Black History uh, Month uh, celebration. And we're gonna talk about how do we create an immersive center in downtown Richmond that tells that story of the enslaved that helped build Richmond, that had a significant hand in building Richmond, but not just Richmond, the entire Commonwealth of Virginia and beyond. And get your reaction to something because there are a few Confederate symbols that still remain in Richmond, right? 
And one of the things that uh, a lot of folks were hoping that uh, uh, then Governor Ralph Northam would do would be to, you know, get those out and done and removed before he left. Now the governor is Glenn Youngkin, uh, Northam yeah. being a Democrat, Glenn Youngkin being a Republican. And in a Washington Post story in December of last year, uh, it notes this, Governor Glenn Youngkin has shown no interest in picking up the baton with a spokesman saying via text that the governor believe the governor believes, quote, we must resist the movement to cleanse our history. Your reaction to that quote? Um, I, I think the it, that's it. I, I think the governor has failed when it comes to telling the full history, the account of history in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He says. He wants to tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. But when it comes to these uh, history standards and the history policies, rewriting the curriculum for history in our K through 12 system, uh, his Department of Education has you know, gone through four or five drafts uh, during this process and sort of has whitewashed or erased sort of the black history and the, the contributions of black Virginians uh, in the, the history curriculum. And so, um, you know, when I think about where our state has been, and I, I think about this, this whole, uh, we had a guy named Walter Plecker, who was the state registrar for, for vital statistics. He essentially eradicated a whole race of people and the indigenous people, the native R R Virginians, out of the vital statistics. No record of their past because he said it's either white or colored. Or you think about the fact that Richmond is still remains the home uh, to the, one of the largest slave burial sites uh, in the country uh, here in Richmond, where people just paved over it and built over it. These are stories that should be told to all of our, our students who go through our K-12 system, but they're not being told because I think Governor Youngkin believes that uh, people becoming a little bit uncomfortable, people feeling a little bit of that indictment is a bad thing for uh, his electoral chances in the future. Uh, here's the thing. Um, I think that we need uh, someone in charge of this state who's willing uh, to make sure that all the contributions of Virginians should be told to all of its people. And um, this month is one of those months where we will obviously lift up some of those stories here in the city of Richmond. And I think we need to do that in Virginia as well. Um, let's broaden the aperture a bit and take it and take it national. Well, okay, let's take it to Florida. I mean, the conversation we're having right now is similar to what's happening in the country um, nationwide as we talk about what Governor DeSantis is doing when it comes to the AP African American Studies yeah. course for, for high school students, where he actually said that the AP framework, which I'm almost done reading, put that on the record. He says that that, quote, lacks educational value. Just, you know, not that you've had to read the, the AP framework, but the idea that a framework that is about African-American history and its contributions to overall American history lacks educational value. Jonathan, it's almost as if uh, Governor DeSantis is saying that that our contributions, the contributions of uh, my ancestors, your ancestors, don't matter. They have of no value to the educational process. And I think he's dead wrong. 
He's already passed legislation in Florida that stated that, you know, you can't say gay in the classroom. And I think he's basically taking another step that you can't say black in the, in the classroom as well. And I think that's dead wrong. Uh, that is the sort of uh, uh, regression, I think, that we're seeing uh, in this country. Uh, you, you look at America and our history, there, there are obviously, uh, as a person who loves this country, I love this country. We've made progress in many ways, but there are times when we are we regress as well. And the tactics that are coming out of the administrations of uh, Governor Yunkin and Governor DeSantis uh, obviously highlight and demonstrate that regression. Mayor LeVar Stoney, the 80th mayor of Richmond, Virginia, thank you very much for coming to Capehart on Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.